Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. We are just a week or so from Thanksgiving, which is hard to believe. <laughs> I mean, I was... I'll, I'll just let you know, I was 16 before I realized that gravy wasn't a soft drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was odd. That reminds me, uh, a friend in college wrote a song about gravy boats. I I would like to hear that song. I may have a copy of it. We'll have to talk about this <laughs> off air. Uh, good stuff. Anyway, um, yeah, so we're about a week away from Thanksgiving, which means that uh, a lot of people are going to be traveling home uh, and seeing family, seeing friends, and and maybe having some challenging conversations, uh, as to, the case may be. To put it mildly, I mean, it, it's it, honestly, that's really never been my my story, some of those gigantic, hard conversations, but it's just an iconic American scene where people are sitting around. The, it's like the Norman Rockwell painting, <laughs> if you could actually hear what they were really saying. <laughs> the, the interesting thing is those paintings never really had the crazy uncle, <laughs> but they're there. <laughs> <laughs> uncle Walter is there, yes. No, it's 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 just an iconic thing and it's just kind of part of the part of the the reality when personalities start bumping into each other and these people that you've known all of your life all kind it comes out all kinds of sideways. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for today's episode, we thought we'd kind of tackle those conversations head on. If that's something that maybe you uh, are dealing with and looking for some advice or ways to think about that and, and still um, maintain a healthy relationship with, with those family and friends, um, we want to help be part of that. So today uh, we're going to share an interview that we had with Regina Mustafa. Yeah, you know, Regina, she takes on these conversations all the time, uh, just in different ways and in different venues. Uh, but she was our Sandbox live event guest just over a year just ago over now. A year ago. Yeah. And she ta- she's, talks about her experience of, of having challenging conversations. And up until recently, Regina, she was a candidate for the first congressional district here in Minnesota. Uh, she just uh, dropped out of that race recently, but she is a very public figure around here and uh, and, a, and a good friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we were excited to catch up with her, talk with her a little bit about these conversations that she's had through her work with uh, CD Center for Interfaith Dialogue on Islam, uh, as well as running for, for office and uh, just some of the work that she's been up to around here. Yeah, so we learned a lot from from her about these difficult conversations and and what might be the takeaway as as we move forward in the difficult conversations that we run into on a day-to-day basis. And with that, welcome to episode 54, Dialogue as an Extreme Sport. All right, well, we're back in the Standbox studio. We are excited to uh, welcome our friend Regina Mustafa. Welcome, Regina. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, uh, Some of you may be familiar with Regina. She was a live event guest, I believe, about a year ago now, right? Yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, for those who don't know you, uh, maybe you could just introduce yourself and a little bit of the work that you do. Yeah. Uh, so I formed an interfaith nonprofit organization called Community Interfaith Dialogue on Islam in the summer of 2014. I call it City, And through City, I engage... The people of Rochester and the surrounding areas in ways of coming together, uh, spreading interfaith education, finding those commonalities between, uh, you know, what seemingly are, are all these differences, but at the same time learning to appreciate what our differences are and not shy away from them. Um, I've been the, the host of a monthly talk show called The Faith Talk Show at the Rochester Public Library. Uh, I visit places of worship. Uh, around town, and I also offer uh, classes on 
through through Rochester Community Education on the role of women in Islam, basics of Islam, and just provide a lot of local and reliable information on a topic that is often misrepresented, misconstrued in various outlets surrounding us. So that's that really takes up the majority of my my time, or has been for the past three years, is the activities and such. Cool. Educating and building community and building connections and all of that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And just so people know, the, the faith talk show that you do, yeah. uh, can yeah. they watch that somewhere? Is that on they YouTube? And, and, you know, Chris was on it. I was on it. That, and that was a year ago. <laughs> so besides that episode, can anybody <laughs> see yeah, these things? I wouldn't things? recommend that one. But otherwise. <laughs> oh, that was a great one. No, yeah. So I do have a, a city YouTube channel. Cool. So you just go to YouTube and type in uh, CIDI or Community Interfaith Dialogue in Islam, and you can see all the past episodes from the past three years, including... The one with Chris. Including that one. <laughs> yep. Free of charge, you can watch if that If you one. wanted to, I guess. Yeah. It's, free, it's free, free of charge. Yeah. yeah. So it was a just kind of backing up the clock a little bit. Uh, it was a couple days after the Charlottesville neo-Nazi rally. Uh, I ran into you at a community interfaith prayer gathering that was taking place at a, a church here in town. And then earlier that day, I, I had... Um, just been alerted to the fact that there had been hate speech and even a death threat on our YouTube channel with you know of, of your presentation mm-hmm. when you were in the sandbox live event mm-hmm. and uh, the hate speech, the death threat is this a common thing for you? I mean, is this something that you you run into on a regular basis or how how does that work? I would say since being in the public eye with my organization, the hate speech certainly is a regular occurrence, mm. though I will admit that's probably the most disgusting comment okay. I've mm. ever received. Um, I actually, one of my initial reactions was to bust out laughing because it was so, um, <laughs> it was so bad. Seriously, you wanted to a, laugh at it. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious at okay. first. I think maybe, that could be a, um, what, what do you call that? Like a, a, a self, um, hmm. def- def- like a defense mechanism, a defense mechanism, yeah. Yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so yeah, since I've received lots of hate speech with my organization through, you know, whether in person or through social media or emails, Mm -hmm. um, for sure. But a clear, and I've had borderline threats, like comments that could be perceived as possible threats to my security. I've had that in the past, but this was the first really Mm -hmm. clear cut threat, an actual, you know, statement of wanting, Mm -hmm harm to yeah. come my way so so as a follow-up i mean a, yeah. what you know i know that uh, authorities were notified about it and yes. and where is it at now i that's a really good question because okay. i don't know well, hmm. um roger police department i called them they came right away they took a screenshot of the comment and all that and they took a report i followed um i filed a report with care the council on american islamic relations and with the Minneapolis chapter, but even their head offices in D.C. contacted me for a report and all that. Um, and they said that they were going to file a report with the FBI. I've never heard anything about it since. Hmm. I tried to follow I follow up with CARE, seeing so anything happening. I'm getting nothing. So I don't know. Hmm. Nobody's taking it seriously. It, or it's so daunting of a task to find out 
who, because if you look at the username mm-hmm. on that YouTube, it's so it's such a generic mm-hmm. name. Pretty, yeah. And you type it in the white pages and you get like thousands of hits. So it's really no way right. of knowing if it's somebody local or sure. made up name. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So whatever. Yeah. It shook me up for a couple days. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I think at first I was like, you know, this isn't, it's probably, it's probably not serious. But it does, no matter how much you tell, you say that to yourself, right. it does cause you stress mm-hmm. that you don't maybe realize, you know, you know, and unfortunately the people who might bear the brunt of that maybe are my kids, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, mm. they're acting up. So I end up, you know, maybe yelling at them right. for something that I shouldn't be yelling at them for because I don't know who to let it out to. So, you know, or I'm like, next for a couple of days, I was kind of jumpy, mm-hmm. you know, when I was walking mm-hmm. down the street, something came out, I'm like kind of a little startled. So, yeah, it does cause you stress, you know. Yeah. I can't, I can't. That seems like such an understatement. Yeah, it does cause you stress, but I mean, you can, it comes out sideways in ways that yeah. you know that you're not even expecting. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And how often is it that it, you know the stress comes out on the people that we love the most? Yeah. Right. And I so. hate I I hate that. And mm-hmm. it was the very same day that I got the notification of that. I received a letter in my home mailbox by. Some right wing blogger from Wisconsin who wrote me this typed, very nicely done typed letter. It almost looked like a something you would get in the mail if you're you're at your house. You've got to be evicted from your like some kind of public notice, right? Hmm. And it, I was like, oh, what the heck is this? You know, and it said, um, you claim to be a moderate Muslim, and he went. He goes on for five pages of all the things that he's demanding that I do to mm. prove that I am a moderate Muslim, including like taking the Arabic Quran and blacking out with a mar- black marker versus mm. and declaring this and this and that and saying, if mm. I don't, then I could be tried for treason. <laughs> so I wow. I scanned it, sent it on to care, had their lawyers take a look at it, but they said legally there's nothing they could do. Mm. But then, you know, this guy's got my home address. Right. And it occur- occurred on the same day. So then, like, you know, the next week, every time I open my mailbox, right. I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to get today? But mm-hmm. I would say since all that, it's been relatively quiet. Okay. That's good. Yeah. 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 It has been. You seem to, in your work with City, uh, you are constantly having conversations with those who see things differently than you do. Yes. Uh, and, and criticize you personally, as we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. And I imagine a lot of these people aren't exactly your best friends. So... <laughs> 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 so what's that like? I mean, what is it like going into those conversations? You've, you know, we've talked, uh, uh, you talked about it in your live uh, event. Yeah. Just, yeah. just how hard that can be. But, but what is that like for you to going into these these conversations? Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it is extremely, I think, emotionally and physically taxing hmm. to go through it because there's quite often I might find myself in a situation where it's like uh, you, you almost feel like you're 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 giving in to people's rudeness and being impolite but you're like you know what if if I could just kind of hang in a little longer and maybe try to have a conversation maybe uh, you know someone can benefit from it but you know I always when it, when that's hard to do 
And I think, you know what? This person's not worth it. I don't want to have this conversation. This person said awful things. Why should I? It's just sacrificing some of my dignity to mm-hmm. even maybe approach this person. But I think of my kids and I think of the world that I want to give them. Um, and if I think there's an opportunity here that somebody could turn around. And I know as much as, as hard, as difficult as it can be to have these conversations at times, especially with people who have really put you down, I know that it would be harder for me to walk away from the situation knowing that I didn't try to have the conversation. That would be harder. In the end, that would be more difficult to deal with. So I'm at the end of the day, I'm satisfied that I've tried, even if it the person doesn't take me up in the offer, the person doesn't, you know, try to see my point of view in any way, shape, or form. At least I know I tried. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah, that's we need more of that. Yeah, go ahead. Has has that has have those conversations? I'm gonna start over. Have those conversations changed over time? Like the thinking about your experience of it, like the first time, how much maybe fear or anxiety, and has that gotten better? Is it, it does it feel like a skill and a practice that you learn how to do, or what is that? What's that experience? Uh, it does. That's a really good question. It does feel like a skill that you, like anything else, you learn how to maneuver you know, through these situations. But a lot of these conversations and the opportunities for these conversations, unfortunately, tend to rise from maybe, you know, the media focusing on maybe what a particular Muslim Mm -hmm. did, even if it's locally or nationally. And then, you know, you get all this backlash coming out of it. And then, then I see like opportunities where I can meet people or or that can be around, um, let's say, a, like a local business owner uh, here or somewhere else in the state kind of puts out stereotypical things about Islam that, yeah, I mean, that that's those kind of topics about, you know, are Muslims terrorists and stuff like that? Yeah, you do learn these skills and how uh, along the way you do, you become educated about the angles these people are going to try to come at you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and the points that they're trying to make. And I think what I've learned is over time is that, uh, you know, would I be any different if I were in their shoes? If the only in- source of information about this topic came from the media mm-hmm. or, you know, the sen- sensationalism, would I be any different? So I've tried to, you know, throw people a bone more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. It, I'm just thinking. Go ahead. I'm I was just going to say that's, I mean, it sounds to me like the very definition of compassion. You know, being able to see, trying to see what the other person yeah. is seeing and, and putting yourself in their shoes. And and right. um, and you really can't get that. I mean, it is. I don't think I'm nearly as compassionate as I should be, but. It's, you know, I know people are way <laughs> more compassionate than I am. Uh, I don't know. Um, you can't get, I think, any level of workable compassion or achievable compassion if you're just doing it through social media. Right. So right. I don't, I don't like, usually if somebody attacks me through social media, I'll offer maybe a counter argument. And if, if I see, like, they're not listening, they're just attacking. Like, hey, are you local? Can we meet? 
If not, then I'm really not going to continue this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I stopped trying to having those conversations on social media. It really doesn't, really doesn't work. I would say one out of 100 Mm -hmm. (laughs) conversations maybe might gain some ground through social media. I, say, I just don't bother. Yeah, I say there there are two places. Uh, hearts and minds are not changed in social media or in the church parking lot. Um, oh, no, the church parking lot. <laughs> the church I'll parking have lot. To try that. Yeah, <laughs> <I> can... <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> the <church parking> lot. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because you know parking. What is that? You know, even downtown outside of the mosque, we get lots of issues with the parking there. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you know, everybody comes in and they're nice to say salam alaikum to each other. And it, <laughs> but, you know, like they're like really double parked out there. Like they don't care. <laughs> like it's like seriously, right? Once you leave the building. Yeah. yeah like now yeah, you have these. Yeah. All bets are off. Yep. What is that? What is that? <laughs> that because it's universal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So when you're having these conversations and you maybe run into like red flags, you know, kind of either they're startling or, you know, they're kind of the typical arguments. Um, what, what do you see in those? What kind of arguments are made that you try to get around and, and how do you get around them? How do you actually move a conversation towards something productive? Um, I... I, I think when I get together, I, I try to just listen to the other person first and just hear more about them and where they're coming from. Um, I think often people, when they come out of these places of anger, these people, for whatever reason, and you could judge if it's justifiable or not, they feel left out or they feel like they don't, they don't have a voice mm-hmm. or they're, they're no longer appreciated anymore. And, you know, so they start lashing out. So if you just sit down and just, you know... Show them that you're not really there to prove or sh- shove your, your point of view down their throat. And you just want to listen to them a little bit. And then I, that's a great way, I think, to start mm-hmm. out the conversation is to show that you're there to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And that could be very hard. That, that can be very hard. Because um, if they've seen really, if they said really mean things, awful things to you, you're like, why should I be doing this? Mm-hmm. But it really does. It really does work out. I think, you know, maybe half the 50% of the times that I've offered to meet people in person. So, yeah, like 50% of the time people will take me up on it. Um, but they always end up positive when, mm-hmm. when we do meet. It's always a positive. It's never any worse mm-hmm. than sure. what you find it. You know, yeah. even if it's a maybe just a tiny bit of glimmer of, you know, maybe there's a different way that I should be, you know, the, of viewing the world. And then you yourself get to gain their perspective as well. Mm-hmm. So, does it? You gain their perspective, but how does that change you once you've kind of seen seen where they're coming from? Um, I think it. You know, I think from a from a marginalized perspective, I think that the flip side of that is that we can see anybody who comes from the majority culture. You can peg them all wrong as well. Mm-hmm. You know. So you might think, okay, here's this white guy. He's driving a pickup truck. Um, maybe he's got some camo on. And, okay, so you're walking into a store. The so first thing you might think is this, pro- this person is probably looking at my hijab and thinking I'm a foreigner. Or, boy, is this person going to say something mean to me? And then all of a sudden the, the person goes out of the way to open the door for you. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, man, I pegged them, you know? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. It can really go both ways. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I think the... 
the more you sit down and have these conversations, you realize, you know, you know, people have, everyone has a story. Everyone has been through something rough. Everybody has some baggage. You don't know what these people's experiences are. Mm -hmm. Maybe the only time they actually have had an encounter with a Muslim hasn't been very positive. Like, mm -hmm. It starts with just really just throwing people a boon and, you know. Mm -hmm. Is there a... <clears throat> Is there a specific time that you've been surprised by one of those conversations, like something that stood out as really just kind of shocking and in terms of different type of person or different way the conversation went than you expected? Yeah. Uh, after one of my talk shows, uh, during my talk shows, I tend to have the most hecklers when the guest is Muslim. Hmm. So I had a Muslim. He's uh, He was actually the head of care from Jaylani Hussein, he came down to the show, and this guy, this guy came to the show. I'd never seen him at the show before, but he kind of during the Q and A, he stood up and he really just controlled the Q and A. He had the Quran, and even with my bad vision, I could tell that this was a heavily marked up Quran. And he's like, "If I was reading," he just sputtered out so many of the the usual misconceptions. You know, this book doesn't have anything about love. Like on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So just. A, both Jaylani and I were trying to, it's like a balance of trying to answer these accusations, but at the same time, not letting these accusations dominate the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, even after the show was over, he came up to me and he was like literally shaking. He was so angry and he bashed the show. He bashed me. Um, and he, he said, look, I, I, I have grandkids in the public school, and I really feel that I'm at a point now where I need to have them memorize verses of the Quran because I'm afraid, like, a terrorist is going to come into the school and shoot them mm. if they don't prove that they're Muslim. And so if my mm. kids memorize verses of the Quran, wow. they can, like, pretend they're Muslim in this event. I'm like, wow. Uh, that, that really – so I really – had such disdain for this guy for getting up in my face and mm -hmm. I, I was not in a compassionate place mm -hmm. there at all. <laughs> I was not. But once he said that, I all of a sudden had this feeling of pity come over me. I'm like, wow, for whatever reason, man, this this guy is really afraid and it's just awful for whatever as much as the media blows it out of proportion about any Muslim who did anything bad in the rest of the world, it's so awful that their actions actually or at least part of the reason why this guy has such so much fear. Mm. I felt so bad for him. Um, so I reached out and hugged him. And that kind of threw him off guard. And it was at the end of a very long day. Putting on the show is very emotional and draining. Mm -hmm. And so I, when that happens, usually I start crying. So I started crying. And I think that kind of caught him off guard, too. And, you know, while we were hugging, he said, you know, if you want to edit out anything I said, go ahead. So he, all of a sudden he had a change of heart, mm -hmm. just like that. Um, it didn't that actually that conversation between that wasn't recorded on the thing, so you mm. actually can't go back and, <laughs> right. and see the hug. But you can you can hear his comments during mm. the show if you go back and find that episode. Um, I didn't edit anything out, but um, I said you know I, I would like to get together so we could talk more. And he got my card, but he never contacted mm. me again. I don't know what ever happened to him. I remember his name, his first name, but that was kind of sad. There was another guy I had who came onto the show pretty regularly when I had a Muslim on there, and he heckled me a lot. And I ended up reaching out to him 
and we got together. That was very positive. That was a very positive one. And we kept in, we still keep in touch every now and then through email. Hmm. And once I just approached him and said, hey, can we get together? He hasn't been back to the show. I mean, I wish he would come back, but he he hasn't come back hmm. to say anything negative. So, yeah, it makes you wonder if that was the agenda the whole time. And right. That, that he, if he didn't feel but when we got together, weird about though, it anymore, then he'd. Yeah. Like, oh, I guess it's not as bad as I think. Maybe I don't have to go there and right. be annoying anymore. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but yeah, we got together. We got together. We met for coffee and pie and all that. And it was it was good. Uh, again, I just sat down and listened to mm. him. Let him talk for a while. It's just that moment of shared humanity and yeah. just being together. and, and uh... So sometimes I think when people uh, are, are kind of calling for conversation, it's really an attempt to silence certain voices or silence certain perspectives. And it's huh. a little different than... Um, I think what we're talking about here today. So are there any points where you've seen that happen or are there any, what, how would you react to that? What do you have to say about that? Mm, hmm. I do see a lot when people say, let's come together for a conversation that it tends to only focus on similarities. I don't know if this answers your question or not, but it tends to be just, we have to, we're more similar than not. I hear that a lot. And that's all great. That's all well and good. But we're, we are different. We do <laughs> not believe in the same things. You're Christian, yeah. I'm Muslim. We do not believe in the same things. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't, I think if we're just going to talk about fluffy things, like, ooh, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because then you still go home thinking, you know, yeah, but I heard that about them and. But what about this? And then, mm-hmm. Have you really gained anything? No. Well, and I think when we only look at the similarities, I mean, don't uh, isn't it possible that we're we're actually kind of unwilling to acknowledge the thing that might need to change culturally? Because, well, right. Don't wor- don't worry. It's it's okay. We're basically the same. Um, and I just try to love all people, so I don't need to worry that my neighbor is actually, you know, dealing with this thing. I, yeah, you're minimi- I think it's minimizing. It's minimizing the real issue. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that a lot when people say, well, let's have a conversation. It's tends to be just about what we have in common. Mm-hmm. And it tends, more often than not, it doesn't get to the nitty gritty that we need to really talk about. And, and lots of times when we have, let's have a conversation, it doesn't tend to go as deeply as it should to address more institutional systemic issues. So when you, when I heard you say, well, let's have a conversation, I, what I thought, where I thought it was going was, let's have a monologue. You know, let me just tell you how the oh, thing, how this yeah, goes yeah, down. Yeah. That's good. So. Yeah, that, that's a good point. You know, do you, you must experience that at some, somewhere along the line. Yeah. Yeah. But so <laughs> maybe that's where you were going, Chris. But yeah, so people could yep. say, let's have a conversation, but it's actually, no, sit down so I could tell you what I think. And I think that's where I tried to come off with, the, you know, we'll sit down, let me just hear from you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I, I try I try to do. Uh, I try not to dominate the conversation, but it, it is hard. Once we- I get going, it's hard to stop. When you are in those conversations, though, and you maybe you've been listening to someone's perspective for a while, like, does there does there come a point where you just kind of are like, okay, I got, I have to, I have to say something about that, <laughs> and like, how do you, or when do you decide that it's time to kind of push toward yeah. the, that gritty detail of of the conversation? Yeah, because you want to be compassionate, but at the same time, you know, you have to stand up 
you have to stand up for yourself. So it's like yeah. this balance of being tough and fierce for what you believe is right, but at the same time, you know, balancing it with that compassion. But mm-hmm. yeah, there are, there have been times when I've just had to call people out. And even if that means, you know, you might not be, you might lose some quote unquote popularity or uh, favor in some people's eyes. That's okay. And I, I've experienced that, um, new realms of that in the political world mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, sheesh. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, you kind of alluded to it just, just now, but uh, do you have any spiritual practices that help you get through those tougher days? You know, how how is your faith tradition valuable uh, in this experience? Uh the prayers, the five-time hmm. daily prayers, um, I will admit that as hectic as my life is, it's become more difficult to say my prayers on time, and that's been hard. Um, it t- tends to make you feel like a hypocrite. You know, oh, I'm the Muslim candidate, but then this whole campaign is causing me so much stress that I'm not able to concentrate during my prayers when I make them on time. Uh, you know, the mm-hmm. why, uh, you know... But I think that could be that I think that could be Shaitan trying to creep in and saying, Yeah, you know, you're a hypocrite. Don't even do your prayers. There's no point into it anymore because you're not even concentrating anymore. That's kind of the thing I have to fight back as well. Uh but um in the times when my prayers, when I've had m- more moments of clarity, they have been very therapeutic. Just the praying and just taking that time to concentrate and just think of you know, um, I tend to go to uh, when I do, I try to do other f- things like play my instrument a little bit, although that has gotten very rare, few and far between moments when I've picked up my violin and played. But I like to tie that into almost like a religious experience as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's moments like that. Where we really need our religions to kind of keep us grounded Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It was great to talk to you. I'm glad to be back anytime. (laughs) Guns, politics, Donald Trump, neo-Nazis, global warming, religion, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. Hey, this is just a starter list to get your Thanksgiving dinner conversation started out right. You're welcome. Now, one of the reasons we released this episode just before Thanksgiving is because Regina gives us some good hints on how to navigate these types of of conversations. She models something I would almost call community building as an extreme sport. She enters into scary conversations that most of us frankly avoid. The difficult, hard, personal conversations and, and tries to build bridges. Regina does it to make the world better for the children, for her children, for mine, yours, ours, just all to make the world a better place. She teaches us to listen first. Why? Because everybody has a story and everybody has had it rough and everybody has baggage. And as Regina says, just throw them a bone. Next week will be the biggest traveling day of the year in the United States as we observe Thanksgiving. There will be lots of food and football and family and friends. 
I've heard it said that your family is the best at pushing your buttons because they installed them. So you know that there will be some difficult and hard conversations. Now, what would it look like to take a page out of, of Regina's book and listen first and speak later? Listen deeply and intentionally. What would it look like to acknowledge the differences and summon some compassion? What would it look like to throw him a bone? Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. To stay up to date with all the things we've got going on in the Sandbox, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. And we'd love to hear from you. So let us know what you think about the podcast. And if you'd like, rate and review us on iTunes and join us in the conversation. And as always, please be sure to share this podcast with somebody who might like it. There's always more room in the sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.